Welcome to this week's Oxcast, your weekly roundup of all the best events happening in and around Oxford. Today's date is Wednesday the 9th of March and joining me in the studio today is Orla. Hello. And Michael. How's it going? Um, so what have you guys got? Uh, so this week I'm going to be talking about uh, the Andy Warhol exhibition at the Ashmolean, another exhibition at the Bodleian Library on Irish history and a bit of cinema. And I've got an interview with some promising young musicians um, epic West African storytelling and Super Science Saturday at the Museum of Natural History. And I've got Lambs, an exciting new collaborative piece, and the King of All Balloons! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who is the King of All Balloons? It was this chap called James Sadler, and he was actually an Oxford pastry chef, um, and he became the first Englishman to build and fly a hot air balloon at Christchurch Meadow in 1784. So he became this huge celebrity throughout the land. <laughs> like, amazing. He had really humble beginnings, so it's fantastic that he even grew to such fame. In his first ascent, he rose to 3,600 feet and landed near Woodeaton, so a couple of miles away. Mm -hmm. And then his next flight, he managed a little bit further. He went to Aylesbury. He had largely successful flights, but he had some perhaps less successful flights. On one balloon ride, he rose to 13,000 feet and travelled 50 miles before landing near Pontefract in West Yorkshire, <laughs> which is fantastic, but unfortunately... <laughs> shouldn't laugh, it's not funny. It must have been very painful. He sustained some pretty bad injuries after being dragged for two miles. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> through, through the countryside and was eventually thrown off... And on another attempt to cross the Irish Sea, <laughs> he, he, it just went wrong and his, he almost drowned, but luckily was saved by a fishing boat. Wow. <laughs> he sounds like an epic hero. So people thought it was totally amazing what he was doing, because at the time, some people thought that you could use a paddle to row through the sky, like a boat, which is <laughs> insane. And they were also concerned that Sadler might collide with heaven or be attacked by sky dragons. Hang on, when was this again? <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, 1780s. Okay. Yeah. We've come a long way. We have. <laughs> Here we did dragons, he... vertically, I never thought. Did he build his own balloons? Uh, yeah, jumping. he did. He was the first pilot to use um, hydrogen mm. to uh, inflate the balloons, which is very exciting, like huge developments. So why is he such an unsung Oxford hero? Well, the university... They sort of ignored his achievements, I think, because of class prejudice um, and the fact he was uneducated. And people, some people thought he was illiterate as well. So He sounds like a very accomplished and intelligent man to be able mm. to do all of that. Yeah, definitely. But sadly, their scorn even continued to after his death. In his obituary, they only wrote, James, Mr James Sadler, elder brother of Mr Sadler of Rose Hill, Oxford, has died despite the fact like everyone else in the country was like, oh no, this fantastic man who's done so much has died. Oh, it's like, awful. It's God. really sad. <laughs> but luckily, local Oxford historian Mark Davies will be giving a talk on James Sadler on Thursday the 24th of March at the Museum of Oxford at 6pm, and it's totally free. So hopefully that will spread awareness. Mm. And yeah, we can all celebrate... The King of All Balloons! <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Thanks. <laughs> on absolute ledge. Uh, on to some events during the week. Um, Thursday night sees the final of the Oxfordshire Concerto Competition at the Sheldonian Theatre, featuring three exceptional soloists from around these parts, uh, backed by the Oxford Philharmonic Orchestra and performing concertos of their choice. Uh, during the week, Mike, for disambiguation purposes, someone else, she's not me, um, <laughs> interviewed two of the soloists and John Trail, a conductor. John, can you tell me a little bit about the competition and its history? Hi, I can indeed. So this is the fifth year of the competition. We founded it in, in 2011. Uh, it's a partnership between the Oxford Philharmonic and the Oxfordshire County Music Service, working with the university to create the opportunity for soloists who either are born, living or study in Oxfordshire to take part in, and get the experience of performing with a live orchestra. I mean, it's a great opportunity and you've had some great soloists come through which go on to fantastic things. A couple of years ago, Makoto Nakata won, who, she's at Academy now, I think, isn't she? That's right, yes. yes. She graduated last summer and she, she's gone on and she's doing great things in London. Yes, yeah. So, and it's a fantastic springboard for Oxfordshire youth as well, because it's not just university. It really is. I mean, one of the the unique aspects of the competition is that both the semi-final and final uh, feature performing with orchestra. In the semi-final, the Oxfordshire County Youth Orchestra accompany one movement uh, of each concerto with the soloist to give them that experience. And also means it's not just the finalists. And in some years we had seven or eight people in that semi-final. Um, it's an invaluable opportunity for any concerto soloist to experience what it's like to perform with an orchestra. It's, of course, very different from, from the usual piano accompaniment. For the full version of the interview, uh, download our Oxcast Extra. And to be there, here's some fantastic concertos and find out who wins. Yep, the final's at the Sheldonian um, Thursday the 10th, 7.30pm, and tickets range from 10 to £25. Now, also tomorrow night at the Ashmolean, uh, there's going to be a kind of mini Live Friday thing going on, except that it's, it's a Thursday. Um, but it's around the Andy Warhol exhibition, um, so themed around that. Uh, it's called Warhol Late. So at the Ashmolean, there's going to be live music, pop-up films, silent discos, DJs, and unusual experiences, they say <laughs> rather vaguely and intriguingly. Um, everything inspired by the work of Andy Warhol. Now, unfortunately, tomorrow night is actually totally sold out, but there are going to be two more Warhol Lates, so we're mentioning it now because you will need to book your tickets pretty soon. I think um, one of the sessions is already booked out. So the next two will be on the 24th of March and the 7th of April. Uh, you need to book tickets for that, which are the normal price for entry into the exhibition, so 10.75 full price and then a couple of concessions prices, and you book a particular time slot of when you go in. Um, so that's sometime between 6 and 8.30, um, but you can spend the rest of the time that you're not in the exhibition around the other bits of the Ashmolean that um, I've got all these other events on. The cafe bar will be open for the whole time as well, serving drink and food. Um, and it should be a, a cool event, especially um, something you could go to after work, maybe. Um, so yeah, it's, it starts at six o'clock and goes on till 8.30. And as I said, the next two will be the 24th of March and the 7th of April. Do you think they have some way of turning your face into pop art? Ooh. I hope so. Because that'd be fantastic. That would be good. All the little individual splodges. I wonder what kind of silent disco could be Andy Warhol inspired. Mm -hmm. It's a silent disco. Velvet Underground might be involved. Oh yeah, probably. You can say. You're right, you're right. Or the exploding plastic inevitable. <laughs> I'm getting very deep now. <laughs> Something thoroughly different, but maybe equally colourful. The Old Woman, the Buffalo and the Lion of Manding is a bit of a feast of storytelling at the Northwall Arts Centre. 
um, Jan Blake retelling the Malian epic The Birth of Sunjata Keita. 13th century dude, political leader, prince and founder of the Malian Empire. He's the Lion of Manding in the title. His story has thrived in the oral tradition of West Africa in the centuries since and is now carried on by master storyteller Jan Blake. who has been performing for 30 years and her depth of knowledge and rhetorical authority are arresting. The show looks like loads of fun though and the crowd should expect uh, to get involved. Not in a scary way. Um, One of the big draws for me is the music that weaves continuously through the show. Um, Traditional music from the Côte d'Ivoire. It's more than just an incidental soundtrack, so songs take centre stage at at various times. And for a reference point of the kind of thing I'm talking about, there's lots of crossover with Malian music, which borders the Côte d'Ivoire. For example, Tumani, Djibete and Amadou and Mariam are like... People, you might are they the them. big names? They, I'm sure some people will, will, will know who they are, yeah. Mali Music, which has been championed steadily by Damon Albarn for a decade or so. Oh, right. He's, he's like, he's in it for the long haul. Uh, you might have seen looking a little bit honoured but bemused recently at being granted the status of local king in, in a Malian wow. city. I'd love to be a local queen in Mali. <laughs> in Mali. I, yeah, he like, he's like... Not sure exactly what to make of this, but it's I'm I'm very honoured. <laughs> uh, so there'll be djembes, drums, mbiras, thumb pianos, and the dodo mouth bow. I mean, this is this is quite a cool instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you describe is, the dodo mouth bow for us? I would love to do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's an adapted hunting bow, um, which kind of is placed like under the chin, and the string is wrapped around so it kind of wrapped around your chin so it turns the player's mouth into a resonance chamber um, oh wow and you get to do you sort of sing and then it reverberates the bow strings or um, I think you you play the string and then you kind of change the timbre depending on oh, how so open you your mouth is oh you the string and then ah. that's amazing As if I've if I've understood it correctly then that's what yeah happens. so if it was a guitar then the whole main body is your mouth and the strings go across under your chin? I think so, yeah. That's the idea. So it's not particularly loud if it's not amplified, but if the person who's playing it, it's flipping loud. Whoa. Because it's inside their own head. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So pretty much every kind of instrument you can imagine. Um, and, yeah, just from seeing a, a video of the performance, it's wonderful how just those three, the two instrumentalists and a, and a storyteller can create such atmosphere. Uh, so epic in the most literal sense, the old woman, the buffalo and the lion of Manding is this Friday at 7.30pm at the Northwall Arts Centre. Tickets are £14 and £12 concessions. Or if you want to support a budding new publication, the Her Street Press will be launching their collaborative journal-slash-anthology, Iris, this Friday at 8.30 at the Ruskin School of Art. I had a quick chat with Shoshana Kessler, one of the founders of the Independent Press and Publishing House, to find out exactly what is Iris. Well, Iris is the uh, publication that I've been working on for a while. It's somewhere between a magazine and an anthology. We're not quite sure what to call it. We're calling it a collaboration because it's a uh, physical piece that incorporates like visual art, prose, criticism, poetry, all kind of interweaving and working together to um, explore the theme which is senses of place. 
Iris as a whole, it's split into three different editions, which will be spaced over the year. And each one will only run for 300 copies, so only one print run. And each are hand-stitched and letterpress and risograph printed. What sort of things will be included in Iris? In Iris, so we've got poetry, prose, criticism and visual art. And one of the exciting things that we have is immediate interpretations of that art or of the poetry. So you have the poetry and then a reading of the poetry, um, a sculpture and a reading into the sculpture. Oh, interesting. We really wanted the pieces to work together because the idea was that the theme, sense of place, is something which is so broadly objective and yet is essentially individual and human and subjective. And so we wanted to look at the subjective interpretations of it in a way that could come together and collaborate. Listen to the full Oxcast Extra interview on our site to hear about the inspiration behind the name and what they have planned for the future. A few of us are going down on Friday as well, so maybe I'll see you there. So intrigued. Can't wait to see what kind of collaboration it is. Now, this spring will mark the 100th anniversary of the 1916 East Rising in Ireland. Um, so, for just like a little bit of background, on the 24th of April 1916, which was Easter Monday, around 1,200 combatants in Dublin and some smaller groups elsewhere in the country aimed to seize control of some uh, particularly strategically important locations. The General Post Office on what is now, o- now O'Connell Street in Dublin became the rebel headquarters and the flag of the Free Irish Republic flew over the GPO and uh, and Patrick Pearce stood in front and read the Declaration of the Republic declaring the Irish Free State. Uh, the unrest continued for another six days after that and by the time the British were able to suppress the rebellion there were 16,000 British troops and 1,000 uh, armed police in the capital um, just fighting these 1,200 or so Irish combatants. Blimey. Um, it was a, the biggest and most significant moment in uh, of Irish insurrection since the rebellion in 1798 by far um, which was a movement inspired by the French and American revolutions as you uh, might expect and actually included um, some forces and ships uh, from the French who uh, went oh. over to try and help the Irish get independence from themselves and become a republic. Um, so the, uh, the 1798 and then the East Rising uh, rebellions both uh, ultimately failed, uh, with the East Rising ending in the execution of the rebel leaders. But it led to a huge increase in support of Irish republicanism um, in on the island, uh, which would continue to grow uh, until the outbreak of the Irish War of Independence less than three years later. So it was um, the beginning of the sort of long road to independence um, and an incredibly significant moment in Irish history. And it's now 100 years ago, which isn't really that long ago in uh, sort of broader historical terms. So to commemorate the Rising, the Bodleian is going to be running an exhibition in their proscolium, which is just off their main quad. Uh, displaying part of their extensive collections of contemporary Irish political and literary papers, including one of only about 30 remaining copies of the proclamation document. Uh, they had printed loads and loads of them, um, but people they were sort of destroyed or burnt, or some of them were destroyed to try and... Um, uh, when the British were sort of taking over to try and uh, protect the names of the si- original signat- uh. signatories and things like that. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, so there should be one of those on display there as well. Uh, the exhibition will be running until the 3rd of April, which is the end of Easter week this year. Uh, and t- 
tomorrow at the Western Library there's going to be a full day colloquium on the on Easter 1916 to sort of go along with the exhibition. Cool. So there's it's going to be made up of four panel discussions through the day. Um, the first on the Bodleian exhibition on 1916, second on representing and remembering 1916, one on organising 1916 and then the impact of uh, the rising. The panels will feature Irish historians from Oxford University, visiting scholars, and there'll be some representatives from the Irish Embassy there as well. Um, it's free to go along if you want to go to just the morning session, afternoon session, or the whole day. You do need to register, though, um, so uh, make sure you do that before you go along. We'll tweet some details of who to contact if you do want to go along to that a bit later on. But yeah, as I said, the exhibition's running till the 3rd of April, yeah. so you can go to that anytime and find out a bit more. Oh, that sounds like the best way to sort of learn more. Yeah, it'd definitely be a sort of a nice gateway into learning a bit more about Irish history. So if you thought this Saturday was just any old Saturday, um, <laughs> you were sadly mistaken. It's it's nothing but Super Science Saturday. Wow, um, what's um, Super Science Saturday? Alliterative. <laughs> it's, it's at the Oxford University Museum of Natural History. Absolute gem. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, so it's a family science fair uh, looking at the whole... Apparently, the whole museum's collection, um, where children can investigate um, all about life on Earth. Now, that sounds about the most <laughs> all-encompassing. Just children. Remit ever. It is. It is for families, but okay. I'm. I'm just. I'm just picturing their eyes and imaginations lighting up. Uh, so yeah, um, scientists from the University of Oxford and very knowledgeable people will be leading groups uh, around. Will they just be going through the whole history of the, the Earth? I think so. It sounds like, it, um, yeah, life on Earth is, is the remit here. I'm sure many listeners will have been to the Museum of Natural History. Um, it's been a few years since I perused, so I'm due another visit. Um, it must be a great place to be let loose in as a kid, though. So there's the looming iguanodon, the chance to go moth browsing, which... <laughs> Come on, that's pretty interesting. Um, I had a chance to meet the famous Oxford Dodo. Um, we actually went on tour last year. Do we know? Really? No. <laughs> the Dodo went on tour. Yeah, it went uh, from Land's End to John O'Groats. Why? I think it was accompanied. Um, it, just <laughs> educational purposes. Um, it wasn't like performing or anything. It does guide about um, even in its old age. I like the fact the museum has the first dinosaur and the last Dodo. Mm. It's quite cool, isn't it? Nice first bookings. dinosaur that was found in North Oxfordshire or something like that, the Megalosaurus. Mm-hmm. It's in like a case next to the dodo. More friends in death than in life, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I bet the Megalosaurus would have eaten that dodo. Oh, yeah. Probably. Tasty snack. The museum's blog is called More Than a Dodo. <laughs> which I've, I've been saying the Bee Gees to myself. <laughs> <laughs> More than a dodo. <laughs> more than a dodo to me. <laughs> As the collection is so much more than a dodo. Um, yeah, what, what, what are your other favourite uh, things to visit? Uh, I always like going to look at the dinosaurs. Ichiosaurus, the swimming one. I've forgotten oh, all yeah, the names. The big swimmy one. The big swimmy one. The, the flipposaurus. Um, flipposaurus. I like looking at uh, <laughs> Flipper. <laughs> I used to like the taxidermy cheetah, but I think they took him away because he was getting a bit bald from all the stroking. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway. He was just too well-loved by yeah. the public. A chance to see all these things and more. Um, that's Super Science Saturday. Um, this Saturday from 12 till 4. It's free and no booking is required. 
If you want to get up close and personal with a living animal this weekend, uh, Earth Trust are hosting their lambing weekends. So it's so cute. Um, So the first one is this weekend and there's also one on the 19th to 20th and you have a chance to visit the sheep shed and the farmyard to see sheep, lambs and other animals including pigs and goats. Um, You can climb on a hay bale, (laughs) just the best. Uh, there's, a, there's also outdoor, an outdoor playing area if you're sick of the hay. No. Uh, a sheep hunt and quiz and craft activities as well as refreshments. Um, Do refreshments include lamb? I really hope not. No. I kind of hope awful. it does. They surely uh, can't. No. It's a bit of me that really hopes you can pet a lamb and then eat it. No. <gasps> if, if, if things at least come garnished in mint sauce, that's okay, right? <laughs> if I had a lamb, I'd call it minty. Oh, my no. gosh. You can't say that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can select one to take home with you and fatten up, but mm-hmm. I don't know, you yeah. could always ask. Uh, so I've got a few sheep facts for you. Yes, please. <laughs> yes. Uh, sheep actually have very good memories and are able to remember at least 50 individual sheep and human faces for quite mm. a long time. I don't know how they measured this. Are they better at sheep faces or human faces? Um, well, they can recognise... like Their the, mates. Their mates, and they can see like emotional responses. That's how they tell what the other Ooh. sheep are thinking. Which okay, is really cool. I can't do that. I can't. That makes sheep yeah. smarter than us in <laughs> terms of <laughs> emotional, emotional intelligence. Of sheep. <laughs> you, apparently, if you look at their ears, they t- mm. they show up. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, they self-medicate when they are ill by eating certain plants, and. New Zealand, Mongolia, and Australia all have more than three times as many sheep. As people. Oh, Mongolia, you see. Mm. A lot of sheep. We're going to be started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn cashmere goat. <laughs> um, that's a lot of sheep. That's a lot of sheep. Uh, so if you want to see a couple of sheep, probably, <laughs> <laughs> this weekend, go to the Earth Trust on Saturday and Sunday. It starts at 11am and ends at 4pm. And it's £6 for adults, £3 for kids and £15 for a family. Now, my cinematic pick for the week is Anomalisa. So this is an Oscar-nominated animated film written by Charlie Kaufman, who also wrote Adaptation and Being John Malkovich, and was originally written as a voice play. It was then performed a couple of times by a cast of three, with David Thuellis, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Tom Noonan, and caught the attention of some animators who thought this would actually work really well uh, through animation. Uh, So it was developed with Charlie into a feature-length stop-motion animation using puppets... uh, at, that are sort of 12 inches tall or something in these mm. full sets that have an amazing, eerily human appearance, both in mm. just their appearance and the way that they move. Um, apart from these, the visible seams of where they could remove the top and bottom parts of their faces to change the external appearance of their emotions. It's quite amazing. Mm. So in the story, a customer service expert called Michael Stone arrives at a bland hotel in Cincinnati about to deliver a speech at a customer service conference. Now, while Michael is voiced by David Thuellis, everyone else, with one exception, is voiced by Tom Noonan. Uh, So a plane passenger, hotel receptionist, barman, Michael's wife and child that he speaks to on the phone, an ex-girlfriend, TV characters on a TV show that he watches in his hotel room. Everyone has the same almost intonationless voice voiced by uh, Tom Noonan. Uh, So he's clearly a a very sad and bitter man living in some kind of Sartrean, Fregolian hell. And then, suddenly... 
another voice passes by his hotel room. It's Jennifer Jason Lee um, playing Lisa. Uh, so it's this amazing, astonishing sort of ray of sunshine moment uh, entering into Michael's monotone world when he suddenly hears another voice for the first time and maybe ever or maybe for a very long time. So Michael and Lisa start to get to know each other a bit more and you see their bond develop and then some other stuff happens that I sort of won't go into. There aren't that many plot points. It's more um, watching their relationship and sort of reading, amazingly being able to read the emotions of these puppets Mm. in a way that is almost more true than if you were watching something in live action. Mm. It it ends up being something that seems very profound in a kind of crazy way. After you finish watching the film as well, it's kind of strange. You suddenly expect everyone to have this voice of Tom Noonan when they start speaking. <laughs> uh, but I highly recommend seeing the film. Uh, for full cinema listings, you can find them on dailyinfo.co.uk for Anomalisa and everything else showing in the Oxford Cinemas this week. To find out what's going on in Oxford, make sure to like and follow us. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Daily Info Oxford. Already get this marvellous Oxcast. Um strips your probably cuboid shaped device every week then you can subscribe on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider on next week's Oxcast Katie will be talking to Rebecca Vaughan about Austin's women and we'll have lots of other events picks for you as well as usual mm. daily 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 info mm. daily 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 info mm.